hey there, everyone. It's the Monty Man. Before we even broadcast this show today, let me just say it is a very special broadcast. It is from the archives from June 2014. Now, the reason I'm rebroadcasting it is I was inspired by a comment that came in today from a listener who tuned in today named Shannon F. Now, Shannon says, the panel, meaning the co-host and myself, the panel sound like three trailer park types. The host, like Sylvester the Cat. Even if you put all of AA's alleged negative attributes aside, the mere fact that it's virtually a lumpen proliteration milieu speaks volumes. Not sure what that even means. I had university-educated friends, he says, who knew nothing of AA's negative detractions, who walked out of an AA meeting within mere minutes of arriving. They found it too skiddy an environment, mainly attended by such lower-class deviant types, <laughs> such as I couldn't be bothered to give even the time of day to at a bus stop. Well, thanks, Shannon. It's very humorous because... It's obvious that if these were actually university-educated people, they would certainly have more common sense than to make a judgment call on a meeting after walking in and just standing there or sitting for a couple of seconds and immediately walking out. In any case, it sounds to me like you listened to our broadcast and you built yourself a resentment. We certainly didn't give it to you. You built it all by yourself. Congratulations. Good job. Well, this show is Eve, Nathan, and myself unpacking an article published in the online addiction and recovery magazine, The Fix. The interview conducted by The Fix's John Levitt with Dr. Lance Dodds, where Dodds attacks AA with a slash-and-burn approach to dealing with 12-step programs, is what we're talking about and unfolding in this broadcast. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you get a good laugh out of it, too. We believe in fun and recovery. And on this broadcast, we certainly did have fun. So without further ado, here is the show entitled, So You Hate Alcoholics Anonymous. The views expressed on the following broadcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. The dialogue on this show should not be considered as medical, psychiatric, or professional advice and is delivered only as personal opinions from the host, co-host, and guest. KHLT Recovery Broadcasting is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. And now, here are your co-hosts, Eve D., Nathan A., and the Monty Man. All right, welcome uh, one and all to another a fine episode of Open Forum here with uh, Nathan A., Eve D., and myself, the Monty Man. How in the heck is everybody? How are you doing? Peachy. Peachy? You're golden. doing peachy? Golden, peachy, and golden. That's right. And, and, and chipper on this end. Uh, Nathan has his uh, Bubba mug. If you don't know what a Bubba mug is, it's this huge... Big... Big mug that they sell. Did you get yours at Walmart? 7-Eleven. 7-Eleven, 7-Eleven bubble mug uh, filled with caffeinated coffee and a, uh, how many ounces is that monster over there? It is 24. 24 ounce monster <laughs> chaser. Oh. Just so you know, everybody, a bubble mug looks like a keg. With a handle it on it. It does look like a keg with a handle yeah. on it. It's a basically it's a It's not thermos. old behavior. 
if you're doing it today. I can I just say that? Yeah. <laughs> See, I can close this up and sip on this coffee all day long. Right? Yeah, okay. Whatever, whatever. You just keep telling yourself that as you fill it up again before you leave today. Yeah. All right. <laughs> hey, uh, Alyssa, we're going to be talking uh, about, well, you're going to be talking about somebody who's, who's, who's not very happy with um, the organization Alcoholics Anonymous. And we're going to be reading an article uh, that was published in The Fix this last week. Um, and if you're interested in uh, some really interesting coverage on recovery issues and uh, addiction issues and so forth, visit thefix.com. Uh, but, but anyway, we're going to be talking about that, and uh, we're, we're going to have some fun with it, too. Uh, because it's amazing to me, uh, this contempt prior to investigation thing, how far-reaching it can be. Exactly. Uh, with all of us as well as people that that aren't one of us. Uh, but those of us who that are in recovery, uh, some people, particularly 12-steppers, are really upset with this guy. And uh, then there's some people that are really upset with the rest of us. But that, that's just the way it goes. But before before we do that, I, um, I just want to touch on our survey that we had up for two weeks, uh, which asked the question, um, are, are you an alcoholic that still smokes pot? And the question was, do you think it's okay? Yes. Do you think it's not? Uh, you know, no, no, if you think it's not, or, um, I don't think it's okay, but I'm trying to quit. And I'm, this is, I'm just going over this really quick. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I thought some of the answers were interesting. Uh, Christopher Weiss says, absolutely not. Um, no potty. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, uh, Steve C says, I personally don't smoke pot, but to each his own, live and let live. Interesting. Uh, Christopher, uh, another Christopher says, you are not sober if you're using any mind-altering drugs, including narcotics that are prescribed by a physician, plus if you are in a methadone program or suboxone. That, that's his take on it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Talk about contemporary investigation right there. Uh, Bill B says, I do not think it's okay. Uh, Patsy V from Australia says, uh, that is an interesting question. I would say no, but I take medication daily just to be able to walk. I think she's responding to this this other guy. Does it alter my mind? No, uh, though it is considered heavier duty than some things, but not enough to make me wacky. Smoking cigarettes are an addiction, and I probably found them harder to stop than most things, so many things are an addiction in this world. I do believe, though, if you have an alcohol addiction, pot should be off of the table. Uh, Jenny M said simply no. Peter S said, I'm in AA, so it's only about alcohol. Mm. If I smoke pot, it has nothing to do with my alcoholism. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting Ding, ding, take. ding. We have a winner. You win the booby prize. Um, uh, Jan F says pot is natural. Alcohol is not. What's wrong with you? Ooh. I, I, I thought... Um, alcohol is natural. I thought alcohol was natural. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. Um, it, well, hemlock's natural, too, but it doesn't mean you put it in your body, right? <laughs> oh, look, something natural. I think I'll eat it. Uh, Fred H. says, Narcotics Anonymous says we must uh, abstain from all drugs in order to recover. Lisa T. said, if I smoke marijuana in my state, I'm breaking the law. Aren't we supposed to be obeying the law if we are now productive members of society? And just because a law changes doesn't make it right. Oh, good, good. So uh, there's some interesting comments there. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, you know, maybe one of these days we'll we'll talk, have a little discussion about uh, the marijuana laws and that kind of thing. But that's from uh, another time. Uh, the the, um, the survey that's up right now says, it's, it's a yes or no question. It says, do you have a sponsor? And I've got to tell you, so far, um, we've got about 24% say no. And out of, I think, about 130 people that have responded to that. Wow. Um, okay, uh, we're going to uh, we're going to take a, a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to have a little fun before we uh, venture into this uh, controversial issue of uh, 12-step fellowships or not 12-step fellowships when we come back. AA made all the difference in my life. I noticed that most of the goals I had as a kid were slipping by. I didn't feel like the person I hoped to be. After all those years of drinking, I, I really didn't know myself. When I was out there drinking, I was always looking for the next great party to make me feel all right. With AA, I found a better way of life. And I feel good in my everyday life, even without a drink in my hand. Alcoholics Anonymous. It works. Look us up. Check your phone book, newspaper, or AA.org. Okay. Uh, listen, uh, I understand that, that Cecil is a little miffed at, at me. Um, because we took last week off, uh, and Cecil didn't get to come out and play. Uh, so Cecil, uh, are you there? Will someone please tell the Monty man I'm not speaking to him this week? Okay. I have a resentment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry, Cecil, but we, we all need a day, day off once in a while. Not speaking. <laughs> come on, come on. Let's let's talk. Let's talk. Come on, Cecil. Not speaking. <laughs> Sassy. Wow. I, I guess so. I guess Cecil's pretty mad. Mad. Well, listen. Can we at least play Take Twelve trivia? <clears throat> okay, for everyone else, but not for you. <laughs> it's time. To play another game of Take 12 Trivia. Thank you, Cecil. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's time for uh, some really fun Take 12 Trivia here. That's how Eve feels about it. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's uh, question number one on Take 12. Cecil, I, I hope you can way, give me. <laughs> Eve smoked me. Not last week, but the week before. She smoked yeah, she me. Did. That's right. She, she did on the, on the music. Yeah. That was, that was the ridiculous. Music. Yeah. That made me angry. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's revenge time, lady. Oh, that, that's the boy. benefit of having a host that's close to my that. age and not yours. <laughs> <laughs> he, he picks that, the oldies but goodies. <laughs> about the twenties. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> uh, okay, here's question number one. Uh, the H four, more commonly known as the Spruce Goose, uh, was the largest airplane ever to be built and first lifted off on November 2nd, 1947. The unexpected flight stunned onlookers who had never seen a plane so massive. The Spruce Goose's wingspan was 320 feet. Designed, constructed, and flown by Howard Hughes at the first trial run, the plane would never fly again. Uh, final cost was $22 million paid by the federal government and $18 million paid by Howard Hughes personally. Here's your question. How long was that one flight? Was it one hour, 
30 minutes or one minute? Uh, I'm going to say one hour. One hour? 30 minutes. 30 minutes? Well, you're both incorrect. It was actually not even quite one minute wow. in the air. Yes, indeed. I'm feeling a, a bit silly. <laughs> what did you say, Nate? That's a lot of money. Yes, it, it is. It's a lot of money. Especially way back then, that was... Holy moly. Yeah. All right. That, that'd be, what, billions now. And, and you can you can see the Spruce Goose today at over the museum, right? in um, yeah. McMinnville? Yeah, is it McMinnville? it's right up the road at, from here. At the, at the Air Museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's question number two. Uh, there is a lawsuit every 30 seconds in the U.S. More than 50% of, of the time spent in U.S. courtrooms is over what kind of case? Divorce? Car crashes or trespassing? Divorce. Yeah. I'm going to have to say divorce, too. Even though. say divorce, too. Actually, it's car crashes. Mm. Yes. yes. I was going to say that just because. Right? <laughs> uh, in the U.S., there are 18 doctors uh, legally named. This is their legal names. Okay. Doctor, doctor. Uh, one called Dr. Surgeon. There is also a dermatologist named Dr. Rash a psychiatrist called Dr. Coach, and an anesthesiologist named Dr. Gass. Um, A sex therapist living in Belgium's legal name is, and here is your choices, believe it or not, Dr. Condom, Dr. Fingers, or Dr. Comfort. What, 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 it's it's a gynecologist? It's a sex therapist. Sex therapist. His legal name is Dr. Condom, Dr. Fingers, or Dr. Uh, Condom. The weirdest one is Dr. Condom's, but I'm a, and I'm thinking it's going to be that even though, but I would say Dr. Fingers. Dr. Fingers? What are you saying? <laughs> She's like, are you serious? If you say Dr. Condom's, you're probably going to be right. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't even want to comment. <laughs> I don't even want to. I'll take, I'll take a, a, a fail on this one. I'll just. I don't even know what to say. Well, Nathan, you would have been correct. It is Dr. Condom spelled C-O-N-D-U-M. <laughs> There's a strategy. Pick the weirdest answer and it's usually right. Yeah, yeah. Here's your bonus question. Zero to zero, Eve. I know. We suck. Oh, man. Uh, this has been voted the most obvious warning label ever displayed by the Guinness Book of World Records. A, on the side of a chainsaw, do not attempt to stop chain with hands. <laughs> by, by the way, these are all true, but one of yes. them was voted uh, the most obvious. Uh, B, on a Zippo lighter, do not ignite in face. <laughs> and C, on a road in Clements, South Carolina, caution, water on road during rain. So we have uh, do not attempt to stop chain with hands, do not ignite in face. Water on road during rain. Which one of those? I'm going to say A, do not attempt to stop with hands. What do you say there, Nate? What was the second one? Uh, On a Zippo lighter, do not ignite in face. Zippo lighter. Nathan is correct. It is the Zippo lighter. (laughs) (laughs) We are the champions. (laughs) And that does it. We'll take 12 trivia for this one. Yeah. All right, we'll be right back. I didn't think it was possible for me to be an alcoholic. I was 24 with a good career. I thought I was too smart and that alcoholism only happened to middle-aged men and celebrities. I thought something else was making me sick. 
shaky, and afraid to face people. Then I found AA and discovered it wasn't something else. It was alcohol. AA helped me find a new life. Alcoholics Anonymous. It works. Look us up. Check your phone book, newspaper, or AA.org. All right, and welcome back. Okay, so um, last week in in the um, the online uh, recovery slash addiction alcoholism research uh, publication called The Fix at thefix.com, uh, there was an article uh, that was published, and uh, it, it was an interview uh, with um, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Lance Dodds. And the interview was conducted by John uh, Levitt um, of The Fix. And uh, so we're going to kind of unpack this thing. And uh, for those of you who are 12-steppers, regardless if it is a faith-based program or AA or NA or whatever it is, this might be a a real good time to get yourself a warm glass of milk (laughs) and a chair to sit in. (laughs) Make yourself a turkey sandwich because it has L-tryptophan in it. Yeah, yeah. It'll help calm your nerves. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and if you're working on dealing with resentments today, um, this is your opportunity to um, to grow. <laughs> All right. Uh, this, is, uh, this is how the article starts. <clears throat> We're going to be spending some time on this. Uh, by co-writing The Sober Truth with his son, Zachary, Dr. Lance Dodds, has ignited a familiar brush fire in the recovery community. His anti-AA book is making more of an impression than the usual attacks. His book takes a slash and burn approach to dealing with 12-step programs. Uh, here's the first question in the, in the interview. Anti-AA sentiment regularly comes up in the news. Why do you think this is the case? And how is your work different? And this is what uh, Dr. Dodds responds. Uh, and we're going to unpack this. When we talk about why AA has been so fabulously successful in being accepted by the uh, general public, it's the same answer as to why all of the other books seem to fade away. The people who are pro-AA and getting something out of it, the people who are devoted to it in a quasi-religious sort of way, have a huge influence. Many of them are successful in other ways, and they have risen to positions of prominence. This has always been the case, as we reviewed in the book from uh, in in my book from the incredibly positive and completely inaccurate review of AA written by Jack Alexander in the 1940s. The article was originally published in the Saturday Evening Post that helped to promote the idea that AA was the best treatment for alcoholism. He goes on to say, on the other hand, it is also true that there is a kind of silent majority, although I hate to use that phrase. Most people with addictions do not belong to 12-step programs, and many of those people have tried them and failed. But those people don't talk about it. And this is what we call the sampling bias in my book. We hear from the people who do well, and we don't hear from the people who don't do well. If you go to the recovery section of a bookstore, you'll see book after book about how AA saved my life. But you won't see any books about how AA didn't save my life. People don't write those books, and no one reads them. Well, first of all, if you go to a recovery section in your store, why would you find a book that said recovery didn't work, or AA didn't work, or or whatever didn't work? That's not what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a 
Well, I can tell Ridiculous you right, right out of the big book, there's stories how it didn't work, and then finally it did. Well, and it didn't work. Not it, It's because they didn't work that's it, right. though. And, right. And that's part of my story in AA is that I sat in meetings for four and a half years. But that's all I did was sit in meetings. I didn't right. work any of the steps, which is the program, yeah. And, 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 and if you stick around... Um, you stick around the rooms long enough, you will hear mm-hmm. a lot of people talking about how it didn't work mm-hmm. until. Uh, and so, that, okay, so he, he goes on to say um, the basic answer is that AA is sort of self sustaining. It's now added a bunch of people who should know better because they are scientists and researchers and now they have uh, done studies to try to prove AA's effectiveness. And that's why we wrote the book, to see if those studies are valid. I don't understand how you would write a book to see if the studies are valid. Um, and, and it turns out that they're not, according to him. Uh, they are riddled with errors, and the science that supposedly is supporting AA is no good. Of course, he doesn't point out any of the errors. Uh, the bottom line is that AA does have a 5 to 10% success rate. He's inaccurate about that. Uh, and, and I'll tell you why. We need AA, and, and then he says we need AA, and it should be there for those 5 to 10%. The problem is that because of the power structure, we prescribe AA for everybody, and that's just a mistake. Well, first of all, it's not 5 to 10%. It's more like 2 to 3%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that, again, is due to some things that are um, the 12-steppers' responsibility that we have not you know, we've not stepped up to the plate. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not the program that's outlined's fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and then he says this thing, the power structure, we prescribe AA for everybody. Well, first of all, um, yes, there are court systems that do that. But Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't do that. Uh, not the program anyway. Some of the people may take that view. Um, but the literature clearly states uh, that not only is this a spiritual kindergarten, but for some people, they need other help. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he's not real accurate about that either. The answer to your second question, if my book will make a difference, is, now this is what amazes me. This is supposed to be an educated man. Uh, they ask, is your book going to make a difference? He goes, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh Okay, any comments so far? I don't know. <laughs> uh, Can I just say something yes. to the to the listeners? Yeah. This John Levette guy, because we all read this article, and, and he does a phenomenal job with these questions. Yeah. Because he's challenging him through the the interview process and um does does a great job of laying out the facts and and the the fellow responds well when you when you put it that way then no and all john all he's doing is is he's citing the program the way it's written in the book right so 
it, it, it's kind of funny for those of you out there who are familiar with the book, uh, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous will appreciate some of these questions and how the Dodes responds. And he says, well, when you put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Juan, Juan o, my, my friend Juan O may, may say, well, yes. how would you like me to put it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, OK, so so uh, John asked this question. Uh, it's a, a three-part question. He says, do you see a distinction between theory and practice when it comes to the 12-step programs in general and AA in particular? That's the first part. Then he says, is the theory behind the 12 steps as expressed in the big book the same as the practice of the program in the rooms? Mm-hmm. And then his third part says, should the two things be distinguished? Hmm. Um, good questions. What, what do you, what, you guys want to comment on that? I think that that's a very good question because that is the the reason why we've got the two to three percent success rate. Exactly. It, if it was according to the program as it's written in the book and how they originally did the program of of twelve steps, then we're talking about a totally different animal than what you see in the rooms now where it's so watered down that the people that are talking about the program as it's written in the book are actually in the, the minority is sitting in the rooms. Right. Nate? Yeah. And you know, here's the, whenever you start throwing out two, 3%, 10%, I think about the process. Eve was just telling us about four years going to meetings and not being sober, but you know, every day I go to a meeting and there's 30 people in that pig that ain't drank that day. In my opinion, that, you know, since it's kind of I'm I'm into the day at a time thing, those are success stories. So, two so the three percentage percent, rate is high there on that yeah, day. Yeah, but right? when when do you go two to three percent when you die? If you get twenty years clean, if you get five years clean and die, what if the dude you know Jesus against the cross, the guy, that nasty dude next to him changes his <laughs> life on the spot? It's a different day. There, there you does go. He get, does he get added to the one percent? You know what I'm saying? So that's a really good point. I, I actually struggle really with those. I mean, what's so you what know, is that success rate based on? Is it ba- based on a year? Is it based on crap. three years? Bullcrap. Is it based on <laughs> I think. a week? Yeah. Because you're right. That it's, week, it could be it could be in the 90s, right? Yeah, well, think about it. If you go to a meeting and let's say there's 30 people, that's 30 success stories in my opinion. Maybe they ain't doing something and they're still part of the process and maybe they're going to eat poop in, in two days. But that's they're in the program. They're working it. The seed's planted. To me, you know, that's God's will, buddy. That's that's a, that's being successful. So I I struggle with that percentage thing. I think it's a bunch of hokey. Yeah, and well, and I and I appreciate your your thoughts on that too. But in the for, forward to the second edition, I think they get get in there about the seventy five percent rate, mm-hmm. and and how they come up to that is they say um, so much percentage got sober and stayed sober, and then another percentage uh, had some relapses before they finally got sober. So they included those that struggled and then finally did get sober. And they did the certain, you know, their percentages were based on until they died. But how they work to get uh, surveys now, I'm not really sure. But we can know that the 2 to 3% that, that they're getting through the surveys is similar to other surveys that are done that are studying success rates. Right. So we're all kind of on the same level playing field as far as how they're getting that information. 
But, you know, you're talk, if you want to talk about harm reduction, AA is a great form of harm reduction without any medication because mm-hmm. people do tend to become more productive members of society, even if it's it for small periods of time or long periods of time, if right. they do relapse. I mean, I'm thinking about myself from where I started and where I am now, um, that every time I'm sober, I'm a more productive member of society. Mm-hmm. And at least in the times that I've been clean and sober, I have not been a destructive member of society. Right. And in that, I don't want to say I've never been one of those people um, that have been, you know, outside my my circle of harm is not f- much further than my door of my house. I mean, I've been very neglectful to my children, and and things like that, and that is harmful. So uh, you know, let it's it has lessened those harmful um, behaviors in in the lives of some people that wouldn't would have been progressively more and more harmful as time went on had they never experienced any type yeah. of time of recovery. Yeah. And that's probably getting off track, but... No, but good good, good word. Okay, so he, uh, uh, Dr. Dodd says, uh, okay, that's a good question, and we tried to address that in the book as well. Since AA, now listen closely, since AA is intentionally unregulated, anyone can start an AA group. AA groups are very different from each other. Any one AA group may be composed of thoughtful, mature people who are simply there to help each other stay sober. Okay, so far. Yeah, I have no trouble with that. No trouble with that. Uh, Then he says, you go to other groups, and they have a power structure within them in which there are fundamentalist people who will berate you if you're not doing well and who will insist you buy into the religious aspect of AA. Uh, Half of that I do agree with because there are people like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, there are such things as bad meetings. Sorry, mm-hmm. there are. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as a bad meeting. Well, then you haven't been to enough meetings. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous, as a program, is unapologetically about helping you develop a relationship with a power greater than yourself to solve your problem. If they're not doing that, you're in a bad group. Period. Uh, so... Because there's so little of that going on now, however, the thing about insisting that you buy into a religious aspect of AA, he, he's not accurate there. They don't, I mean, uh, you know, the majority uh, from what I've seen here as well as the connections I have media-wise with people on the East Coast is there's less and less and less insistence that you have any faith at all. On the East Coast? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's stronger over there than it is here. Yeah. Um, And I think a lot of that has to do with the founding fathers and and that kind of thing. Um, But it's getting less and less. In some meetings, the big book isn't even permitted in the meeting. Um, Anyway, he goes on to say, uh, so they insist on you buying into the religious aspect of AA. He's inaccurate about that, Uh, which is very powerful in many groups that are much less thoughtful and much less flexible. If you look at the practice of it, it's all over the map, meaning the meetings. And that is actually one of our main issues with AA. Yeah, me too. Yes. Me I, too. Yeah, this was the one uh, question and response where I didn't really feel like I had a lot of uh, bone to pick with him right. there because it's it's kind of my con- my problem with contemporary AA as well. 
Namely, there are groups which are much better than others. As a result, the overall practice of AA is not so great because there are places where people have had a terrible experience, and we know this uh, from firsthand testimony. Okay. Um, You know, you really can't go by that in the article because we, we haven't talked to the people. We don't know... Where they're coming? Is it because they didn't work the program? Is it because they got a resentment and left? I, I, you know, so that's kind of, that's kind of shit. But but he's right. It is all over the map. It, mm-hmm. And some of what he's talking about has been the fault of um, people in the fellowship. It has. We, we you know we've given a distorted view of what the program actually is uh, in the last particularly twenty years. Um, so I understand why some people get have these opinions, but they're not doing a thorough investigation uh, of the structure of the program. They're not. They're not. Just like some people that attend don't mm-hmm. do a thorough investigation. He says, as far as the theory goes, I don't think that the theory has any merit whatsoever, actually. If you look at the 12 steps themselves, if that's the theory behind it, it's based on an idea that this deeply religious stockbroker, Bill Wilson, came up with, by, uh, which was based on the Oxford Group, which was, of course, a very fundamentalist Christian organization. You want to comment on that? This very religious stockbroker, Bill Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just, I don't read that in the in the literature. I don't, I mean, he had the bright light, and we know that that was a... Uh, um, the God of the, of the of the Scriptures. Remember, right. It's, right. we've talked about that before, um, and so we know that he he had an experience where he became a Christian. But I don't see in in the literature anywhere where he became a religious zealot. And you know, as 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 a matter of fact, I'm going to be blunt, Monty. I'm going to throw some of our stuff. When I see, because I've been through phases, um, mm-hmm. and you remember one of the things we butted heads about quite a bit is because, which I happen to agree with now, but back then, you were really focused on Christ and and putting it in the circle, you know, and I was really like, you know, I wasn't sure where I was. Right. And, you know, I've noticed one of the things that attracted me ridiculously because, like I said, all of us are in our own growing process. Mm-hmm. Now I've I've relieved, and now I'm on the same page as you, and it's great. But when I was going through that stuff, when people would come on strong, whatever, even though it's my issue, <laughs> it's all me. Sure. But when I'm when I'm in my early recovery and that stuff's going on, I remember what it would do to me. And one of the things that, and I've I've been in those arguments, like guy says, you know, I went to church today and praised Jesus, and then people go. What are you doing saying that in a meeting? And it's about God that's, you know, as we understand him, you know, and in, and part of me, I still have great respect for that because I remember exactly where I was. Where, where you were, yeah. Because, you know, it's, uh, you know, and I, I've I went all the way from native, I've smudged and sat in sweat houses to, you know, I've done, I've tried everything in this AA thing, you know, and I finally found a home with a Christ, but what... What my main point is, is all of that growth that I did, um, it was all around some of the stuff. I loved how it gave me the opportunity to grow and learn. Because if they would have said right at the beginning, 
This is a requirement for membership. Yeah. Jesus, you need to, right. save your life. I'm going, dude. Well, that just eliminates me and how mm-hmm. I mean, it would even fit. So I think I think the way that stuff was written was brilliant. But yeah, like you, in the agno- chapter, the agnostic. Oh, anything, that is my favorite you, chapter. You can make yes. a start anywhere. Uh, you know, yeah. and it's, that's one of my absolute favorite <clears throat> chapters when it talked about the uh, the Wright brothers learning to fly. Yes, and it talks about that was my favorite thing out of the book that my my limitations and what I was programmed all growing up. That my limit. I I put limitations on my growth with my higher power completely. You know what I'm saying? Just yeah. like the Wright brothers, the mathematicians, all the people said, dude, you ain't going to fly. That's for the birds. And they never gave up. <laughs> they dreamed big and they didn't limit themselves with their brain. Mm-hmm. You know? And so that that aspect I've noticed is the exact opposite of what he's saying, because mm-hmm. most of my experiences, even though me and you sit in, right. in meetings as born again Christians and we hear homeboy talking about being an atheist, we don't corner that dude. Right now. We just say, yeah, and we love on him. And we know that he's in a growing process because the whole thing's developed to get us to find our relationship. You know? That's right. right. But right. it's in time. It took me, yes. sure. brother, it took me five years to find where I was. Mm-hmm. Fighting and cussing and screaming the whole way, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's, I, I totally disagree with that statement in there. I think it's beautiful how it's written, especially in the steps. It, and, you know, it's interesting here. He's, he calls calls Bill Wilson a religious uh, stockbroker. Bill Wilson came up with with this thing based on the Oxford Rule. Well, first of all, Bill Wilson didn't. That's right. That was that was uh, Dr. Bob. Dr. Right. Bob did right. that. So, yeah. a, right. again, his 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 study is is lacking here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, he is he is losing credibility. The, That's right. The more he 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 writes. Um and then he says, there is no reason to think that a spiritual approach to addiction makes any sense at all. Nothing against spirituality. Well, wait a minute. Either you are or you aren't. Uh, again, supposed to be an intelligent person here. Um, it's like somebody saying, well, I don't really mean to say this, but, and then they say it. It's like, well, if you didn't mean to say it, don't say it. Uh, so he's, he's not against spirituality, but there's no reason to that it makes any sense. It says, but it is the same as saying you should use a spiritual approach if you have a compulsion to keep the things on your desk parallel to each other or a compulsion to clean the house. Okay. Uh, <laughs> makes no sense. If you're powerless, you don't have it in you. Right, I'm 100% hopeless without divine help. But this is kind. a guy that probably yeah. feels that, you know... You know, he's got all the, he can just buck up and do it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, He might be, too. He might be. And that might be, and I would guess that he probably does have firsthand uh, experience or somebody close to him that just, you know, pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and was able to get sober by self-will. And that's, you know, we've had this conversation before. It's that type sitting in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous that's the most dangerous to the person coming through the door that's chronic. Mm-hmm. Right, because that's not the chronic person. Mm-hmm. That's just the person that needs to grow up, and they can and they can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he goes on to say, uh, Bill Wilson just dreamed it up. And even though a lot of people can find some use for it, see, there he goes again. Either this thing, you know, is good or bad. Come on. So some people can find some use for it, he says. It is still one of the main things that limits AA from being truly useful. We put a suggestion, and then he then he says this. We put a suggestion to AA in the book, uh, in his book, 
that to make it more popular, they should take out some of the religious stuff. <laughs> Interesting. That's nothing new. You know, right. you remember the guy that went into uh, Bill Wilson's office and said, you got to take this God stuff out of here. And to appease him, he said, okay, we'll make it God as you understand. Well, that's yeah, the yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's the answer. Uh, it says, um, because the, the, the religious aspect has no bearing on the problem. Uh, uh, Bill Wilson originally said, now this is really interesting. He says, Bill Wilson originally said that addiction is a failure by a person to be closer to God. And he later changed this for marketing reasons into a failure to be closer to a higher power. If the idea is that we are sinners and we need to be closer to God to be free of our addiction, I think that is utter, utter nonsense, he says. Um, so it, it, it's interesting. He just said, he just said, Take the religious aspect out of it. Then he criticizes Bill Wilson for doing the very thing that he just said that we should do. Oh, that makes sense. I think it was a genius move what Bill did, because it you know if it's if it's open for everybody, and everybody can go there and feel safe, and you know let God do the work and grow. That's the beauty of it. You know, and Eve knows, and I know that a relationship with God is not what. Let's use the inappropriate definition of religion, or the inaccurate one, I should say, that we've all heard for years. True religion is something totally different. But let's, for yeah. our sake of argument, let's say that's a bad word. Okay, so so we <laughs> like know that. we know that that a relationship with our Creator isn't a religious one; it's a relationship. Yeah. Okay. And, and and so, uh, but so for him, for him to suggest that we take the religious stuff out, and then Bill Wilson turns around and does that. And then he criticizes Wilson for doing that and, and says that he was doing it to make money, basically, um, is, is amazing. Okay, so the, so the interviewer says, can you clarify your position on the, on the genetic background of alcoholism? Although your book refutes the disease model of alcoholism, you seem to agree with the idea of a genetic predisposition. Uh, for example, you mentioned how alcoholism plagued the family line of Bill Wilson. Is there a genetic predisposition towards alcoholism, and what does such a genetic predisposition imply? You're not going to believe what he says. Okay, now remember, in his book, he refutes the disease model. But then he turns around and says, there is a genetic predisposition. <laughs> okay, again, which is it? One or the other. This is what his answer. I have no personal opinion about it at all. Well, then why in your book do you refute it and then turn around and agree with it? Uh, And then he says, and I tried to avoid putting any opinions whatsoever in the book. Oh, my God. What did we just read? Bunch of opinions. Uh, He says, there is, however, a lot of scientific literature about it, and the literature suggests that there is some evidence for some genetic loading or some genetic influence in some people with alcoholism. But those studies are also quite inconsistent. He's confusing me. Man. Uh, the one study we cited specifically in the book was the twin study. If you take two people who have exactly the same uh, genes and one of them has alcoholism, the statistical likelihood is that the other doesn't. It would be hard to say it's gene- it's a genetic illness if that's the case. Um, why? 
illnesses jump generations and siblings all the time. Yeah, and he and when he says twin studies are these identical twins or fraternal twins, and actually the only twin studies that I've heard of are the ones where twins are um, split at birth. You know, they've been adopted out, mm-hmm. and actually the twins do have, you know, it depends on what they're raised in, whether they're raised in an alcoholic home where alcohol is being used or a more strict home, and it doesn't really matter. The person that is the uh, that has the disease will become, you know, is going to show that, manifest that disease later on in their life. So actually, I mean, I'm not familiar with which twin studies he's referring to but it would have been helpful if he would have said identical twins because then actually then if that is not a connection then even though it doesn't change my mind that it's genetic there's a genetic uh um component to addiction it would still uh matter in the overall picture Mm -hmm. because then but we've talked about this before too because there's another genetic factor that scientists are not aware of yet, but there sure is there because one in five people, remember we talked about this mm-hmm. on a previous show, that don't have that obvious genetic predisposition towards alcoholism, if they drink enough, they cross a line and become alcoholic. So it's like there's some sort of like a dormant gene that's triggered. Mm-hmm. And and in my own life, um, like I have two autoimmune diseases and they were dormant until I experienced severe stress in my mid thirties. And then they, then they surfaced. I'm a, that's a prime example of like something that's there. Nobody in my family on either side. I mean, some of them have autoimmune problems, but not like I have them. Yeah. So what's up with that? But yeah, it was after extreme stress that those surfaced. So it's the same sort of deal. And he's just not specific enough in his his research or in his answers um, to John to, to convince me that he knows what he's talking about. I would actually like to challenge the guy. I would like to challenge the guy to go to five meetings and tell me that there there isn't there isn't God's work going on in there. <laughs> well, he's not going to be looking you, for. <laughs> he's not going to be looking. You for, follow me though. <laughs> If he sees God's work, it's really going to tick him off. Okay. So. Well, if you, right, if, you right. see an, if you see an old turd like me staying sober and having family and going to work, you're like, "Damn, that's a miracle, right?" Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of them. I see that. I see. That's right. I see that when I. That's one of the things that 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 my that my recovery needs. I need to see that. Yeah. I need to remember where I'm at and remember, man, this is amazing stuff. And then mm-hmm. I know that a lot of the times we get real critical. And we try to overanalyze things, and I'm the worst at it. And sometimes, just the simple answer is, "Dude, that it works," mm-hmm. you know. And there's a certain magic about it, you know. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I yeah. like to over, I like to find because you can find flaws in damn near anything. Oh, yeah. if you, you interpret you, it, you, you know. You, you you bet. Once you put the human element in there, That's you know, right. we muddy it up. We, right. we 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 you know we goof it up. He says, uh, see, then he contradicts himself again. I would say that I don't deny there is a genetic influence. Well, he just did um, because there is for almost anything. But I don't think the studies are good because they don't include everybody who has this kind of trait, if you want to call it that. But I would rather call it a symptom. Hmm. Uh, Interesting. Because he's saying what... We have said all along yeah. that 
the alcohol problem is but a but, but symptom. A symptom of our disease or spiritual malady. So obviously he hasn't read that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the statistics are very good for that, and you don't and you can't rely on them now. If you said to me if there was a genetic factor, how would I explain it? I can't explain it. <laughs> that guy is just all over the place, man. Uh, okay, and and so. Uh, uh, the interviewer says again, in your book, you conclude that addiction is a psychological challenge, not a disease, and that the challenge of addiction can be overcome through a therapeutic process that engenders self-knowledge. It is well known that such therapeutic strategies of treating addiction have not worked in the past. Why would the result be different this time around? And uh, he says, okay. That is the one place in the book where you could say that you might criticize the wording of it. (laughs) So are you saying, doctor, that, ooh, you got me. (laughs) Um, What I should have said, so then he corrected himself. What I I should have said is that everything I say about uh, about that works for some people. It was uh, unintentional to suggest that it is the way to treat everybody. However, I will stand my ground about the idea behind it. To call addiction or alcoholism a disease doesn't help understand it. And I have always felt it interferes with understanding it. Well, that's really interesting because I'll I'll tell you that everybody that I've talked to in the 28 years I've been sitting around these tables has has all said to me that once they learned the the genetic disposition, once they learned the the disease concept, once they, they saw into... The, the, the operating of the brain of the alcoholic, that helped them separate that they were a bad person from being a sick person. And they were able to get a handle on this thing and recover because they understood that. So to say that this doesn't help people understand is ludicrous because it has helped thousands of people understand. Um he says, when you add the label in there, it tells you the label of disease. It tells you nothing and kind of confuses matters. Second of all, I don't think it's a- uh, accurate because we know that people can switch from addictively to compulsively using alcohol to addictively or compulsively gambling or addictively or compulsively having sex or shopping. Um, we know that because that really happens in the real world. Well, yeah, because again, he's right. It is a symptom. <laughs> So people do switch addictions because the alcohol it comes with its own prop its own problems of course um, if you're physically allergic to it but that is not the problem the problem is not being able to deal with life in life's terms he says so what's the disease if the disease is that you have compulsions that shift from one thing to another I don't need to call that a disease because I already know what that is it's called a compulsion and it's been well studied for over hundreds of years. It does have a psychological basis. Your point that it has been studied and it doesn't work well is true, but I'm not sure it has been well studied. He's not sure. People have been studying and using cognitive behavioral therapy, but the kind of treatment I'm talking about hasn't existed. It really hasn't been studied, and I wish somebody would study it. He just talks in circles. It has been studied. It hasn't been studied it hasn't been studied accurately. It's been studied by a lot of people. I wish it'd be studied. Uh, some, I wish somebody would study it, but nobody studied it. But I think people have studied it. Oh, no. oh, um, I don't know. I, 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 
Uh, okay, he says you refer to Carl Jung as uh, the eminent psychologist, uh, psychoanalyst. In the book, you clearly must respect him. Why do you disagree with Carl Jung's belief that a spiritual solution is necessary for an alcoholic or an addict? And this is what this is how he wiggles out of this. Um, I don't have any particular respect for Carl Jung, and I believe your reading of that is not what we intended. He was an eminent a psychoanalyst at the time, eminent meaning well-known. <laughs> not because he was such a great analyst, because he was not. His backing of AA is one more example of why I don't respect him or his work. He recommended religion as a way to be cured of alcoholism. And it's a position I do not respect, and it's one of the reasons he's not well-respected totally in my field. Well, first of all, he did not recommend religion. Especially at first. Yeah, (laughs) at all. Uh, And he never said that there was a cure for alcoholism. Uh, And the the few times that word is even used in the literature, it's taken out of context uh, by most people. So he's all over the map. You know what? You know what that guy reminds me of? He reminds me of the guy that says, you know, I'm going to wake up today. Let's take God out of the... Out of the Pledge of Allegiance. For what reason? So, I mean, what harm does it do? The dude just gets a hair up his rear and pushes it, you know? Right. For no reason. Right. But we have to respect that. You know, you're basically taking, you know, it It just, you know, it's just like I totally agree that the AA, you know, it's it's kind of adapted. Like, chicks weren't allowed to go to meetings and they weren't allowed to speak. And, and now we got NA and AA coming in there and talking, you know, that's kind of different, saying we're alcoholics and we're addicts. And, but that's that's where we as people fail is when all that change and that adapting starts to happen. Some of the fundamentalist things that made it what it is. Disappear. Some guy like that just starts squawking because he wants to squawk for mm-hmm. whatever dang reason. Yeah. For, you know, yeah. there's just no, no point in it. Um, we, we are out of time. And, and I just want to say really quick, cause we only have about a minute uh, really quick that if you go to the fix and, and you read in the archives, you get, read this article and you read some of the responses. It amazes me. There's a lot of people, that uh, side with him um, that are very angry, bitter, resentful, just vicious. And I'm like, so I guess that's the life that we want to live, is it? Uh, yeah. uh, not not me, man. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah, not, not me, man. All right. Well, thanks, you guys, for another, for another great show. Uh, <laughs> we'll see what kind of response we, we get on this one. Stirring um, the pot money, man. Stirring the pot. Stirring the pot. All right. And by the way, uh, we're not claiming any affiliation with Alcoholics Anonymous. Nobody sat here and said, I'm a member of or anything like that. So don't get your horse feathers all in, a, in an uproar. Uh, we're simply stating our opinions. Need our opinions. You know what opinions are like. Yeah, that's everybody's right. Everybody's got one. <laughs> All right, everybody. Until our next broadcast, this is the Monty Man along with Nathan A. and E.D. We're wishing God's perfect serenity for you. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting.